Welcome everybody, I'm Oli and this is Singularity Watch, a show where we scan the horizons of emerging technology and take a closer look at what that means for our futures. With me, as always, is award-winning cybersecurity professional Kavya Perlman, who is the inventor of this timeline and the founder of XR Safety Initiative, which is better known as XRSI. How are you doing, Kavya? Hey, Oli. Great to be here. And today we have with us Tomas Henning, Hello. apparently who I know for a long time. We've worked together for quite a bit and who is also an expert in third-party security, child safety, very many disciplines. And if I were to say something um, that really, you know, captures what Tomas can do, he can really accurately figure out the risks associated with emerging technologies, immersive technologies, and, you know, um, propose mitigation. That's that's kind of what I learned from Tomas when we worked together back in 2016. And mm-hmm. it was such a fun time. So, Tomas, great, great to have you here. Hey, it's definitely great to great to be here. Thank you for having me, and this is going to be a fun show. Awesome, and I forgot to mention your passion for gaming and modding and all of that. I think we're going to talk all about it today. Mm-hmm. Tomas, uh, you and Kavi go back a long way. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, you both work together at Facebook, analyzing technologies of all shapes, sizes, and flavors. Um, So when we look at the evolution of technology, we usually expect to see other things evolve alongside it. For example, user know-how and general awareness, just to name a couple. Um, What would you say are the unspoken human qualities that should evolve alongside technological evolution? And are you satisfied with the way they're evolving, uh, with particular reference to the XR industry? Am I satisfied? That, 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 that's a very, very loaded question. Um, honestly, in my opinion, we, a lot of the things that have happened, in the, for example, in the past decade, as we look through the, the generation that embraced Snapchat and how they're using Snapchat uh, is not something that I would have predicted even 10 years ago, that the, the youth, the teenage would be using Snapchat in the way they're using if I think of TikTok and, and the, the rise of TikTok and the way the youth today is um, consuming information is not something that I would have said is going to be a thing even 10 years ago. So I think a lot of the things that need to evolve as we think about uh, XR being a lot more mainstream in the day to day is trying to listen a lot closer to the youth and and, and learn from them around their usages of technology because it's going to be very, very different than how adults use it and want to be able to consume information and then build safety guardrails around it because their methods of consuming information and ours is going to be that much more different. Their usages are going to be that much more different and it's going to bring up very, very niche problems that nobody has really thought of. Right. So it's not very easy to predict because you don't know what the context is going to be because you don't exactly. know what the rules are it's, going to be. I, I kind of see it as as technology is evolving that it, it's going to get into more of chaos theory, right? Of like, it's really impossible right. to predict where things are going to be going, how technology is going to be changing, and how a, a you presume the product market fit is going to be this, and then you start getting it into a totally different group of people with totally different mindset and how they want to consume information. And you're just going to evolve your product as time goes. And as we know, in AR, VR, there are certain things 
for example, in the child safety space that nobody really thought is going to be that big of an issue because, in, in my opinion, they underestimated the, the curiosity of the youngster, right? And the mm-hmm. curiosity for youngsters to explore no matter what they're doing. Right, that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Um, I wanted to ask you about something more specific. In recent years, you've worked on the goal of creating a safer gaming environment for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you help us to understand, to navigate that domain? How, how important is that and, and why? I, I think it's absolutely important. Like it's it's important to the point where we we are seeing the true effects of online bullying, online sexual abuse, online uh, like exploitation of children through AR VR or through immersive worlds where where kids are collaborating and, and playing together. How do I, for example, as a parent, know? that the kids are actually playing with other kids and not with a creep or, or with someone else in, in the world. So how do we make sure that we educate? How do we make sure that we we discuss truly the points of like, yeah, kids playing with kids, absolutely fine, but how do they do it safely? What are topics that are okay to discuss online, even with your schoolmates, right? Versus what are the topics that are not okay? And kids, especially now in the COVID world, are spending more and more and more time online, in Zoom calls, in Roblox games, in Minecraft worlds, in, in other areas as well. How do we ensure that they're safe? Like they're, they're yeah. okay to explore their, their curiosities in a safe environment in such a way that it doesn't hinder their progress. It doesn't really hinder their, their curiosity, but enables them to safely explore whatever they want to explore, like they want to build games, they want to build architecture, they want to build whatever, sure, enable that, but do it in such a way that is, you're not subjecting them to their bullying, you're not subjecting them to to any of griefing or, or any of those things that could like, just make it a very sour experience for them. So yeah, basically you're saying it's difficult, I imagine, to strike a balance between uh, what is going to mm-hmm. lead you to something safe and what is going to leave people to freely explore uh, yeah, the virtual absolutely. worlds. So and, and, and going beyond that, I think that the problem is twofold. A, creating a world where it's absolutely easy for kids to have a safe playing environment and learning environment. But there's a second uh, problem to this. How do the parents themselves know that the environment that the kids them, themselves are playing in is safe? Right. And what also, are the guidelines the parents, that we're going yeah. to be providing to parents to be like, yo, these are the things to be look. You should look out for as your as your child is having a, a a voice chat with another friend of theirs. What are the audio cues that you should be listening to to make sure that right. hey, you're preventing them uh, from actually saying or 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 widely giving out your home address because they don't know better. Right. So there are there's two sides to the story of one is enablement, but also enabling the parents to enable the environment. Yeah, that makes sense. And how um, on the more positive side, what do you think is the potential of XR and immersive tech in general when it comes to children? I think it's absolutely amazing. Like imagine a world where right now, like right now we're sitting uh, the three of us together. We're all in dispersed parts of the world. And we're having this amazing conversation. Now, imagine a child being able to play with their hands, with their VR toys, with kids from all over the world. 
explore different cultures, learn different elements of different cultures, learn about how to be a lot more tolerant with other people around the world and crossing a lot of different boundaries and just exploring and, and making today's world that much smaller just by being able to come together regardless of distance. Distance immediately goes away. It's going to be all about learning, it's experiencing, building together regardless of where you are in the world. That's so okay. fantastic. Yeah, that yeah. does sound really good. Really, really yeah. awesome. But hey, Damas, recently, mm-hmm. and you know, you being the XRSI, XR Safety Initiative, uh, you know, Trust and Safety Advisor, uh, you contributed to this privacy framework recently. Mm-hmm. And back in May, yourself and Maria Tamalini from Gamer Safer and a bunch of other interdisciplinary people, they'd worked on these things. And we basically were able to thankfully incorporate all your work into this privacy framework framework version 1.0. So my question was like during these developments, you must have during your research, you must have learned like what's lacking, what's missing. I personally observed, of Mm -hmm. course, those points that you guys made. Uh, But yeah, just for our viewers, like what do you think is currently missing from this child safety perspective from this domain? when it comes to XR and gaming, both, you know, there are very few people who can talk about it. So I really want Mm -hmm. to ask you that. So Honestly, I think uh, both in the XR space and in the, in the gaming space, regulation and legislation needs to really, really step up. And, and there needs to be a industry baseline standard around the, the, the three big groups of, of uh, players that we have. We have the sub-13 uh, year olds, we have the 13 to 17, and then the 18 and above. So the, the, mm-hmm. for the very, very young kids... How do we ensure that their development by either XR, because there's a lot of things we don't know about the medical development and how medical develop, uh, medical XR will, will impact from a brain perspective, the, the use of AR, VR in, in kids that age. Um, but also, how do we make sure that we're keeping the innocence and the privacy of those really, really young kids by enabling them to learn in these environments? There's no, there's absolutely no regulation. There's no framework. There's no baseline thought of uh, about this and if this isn't done right from the very very beginning we know how bad the internet can get so how oh, can totally. we get in front of it and make sure that we're tr- we, we're creating frameworks and we're thinking about these problem spaces in such a way that is truly respectful to that very very young age now when it comes yeah. to the the very very young adults this is where i think we need to be a little bit more lax and and think a little bit more of a world where how do we create frameworks, privacy and security frameworks that basically create a net for these children, these young adults, to be able to truly explore themselves, explore the opportunities that they want to learn, but they're still in a position where if they make a mistake, right, they do mm-hmm. something stupid, they do mm-hmm. make a mistake that, that like could potentially cause issues in the future if they were adults, there is still a safety net before they make a decision like that for them to be able to explore, but not not um, not basically compromise their, their full life because of it. And this is, for example, where Snapchat, to an extent, did something really, really great with, with the whole, like, whatever you send just disappears into the ether. And then for the, nice. the adults, how do we make sure that privacy is a choice, right? And how do we make sure that as, as we're driving into these worlds where Enabling XR requires a lot of biometric information, requires a lot around where you are, how you are, what you're doing and whatnot. Like 
a lot of a lot of data that's collected, there's a choice, and this is a fundamental uh, framework on in, in the baseline of these three groups as well. Cho- privacy should always be a choice and needs to be built into it. And then to to layer on top of all of this, what are we going to be doing about the novel at- novel attacks and and the really interesting attacks that can come in? In, yeah. in all of these three age groups, and how do we even detect type of, types of attacks that, that I think we, we can still discuss? That is very good insight. Yeah, something that we don't normally regularly think about these things. But of course, you know, thanks to you and the team that you put together, we have actually mm-hmm. taken the time to sort of put that into that baseline privacy framework that's being built at the moment. So yep. hope there, there's, there's at least some hope for us uh, for, you know, paying attention to these things. So Thomas, do you remember, um, I think it was like 2019, back in the days, it seems like a forever time, we met uh, Alex Castillo, mm-hmm. and uh, you had uh, sort of informally advised him on BCI risks. So when we met him and you know you sort of learned what the, the developments are going on, would you care to share like how this cross-section of brain-computer interface and XR and you know how is this making things more interesting? Of course, then I would say both from gaming and mm-hmm. you know specifically XR perspective. Yeah, like let, let me put it into this perspective. Like I, I I'm really looking forward to a world where. I don't need to wear either glasses or a VR headset or anything of that nature. And it's a matter of like just putting a small device next next to my ear and I'm able to see potential in AR, uh, an augmented reality world. That is a very exciting future for me as, as, as a technologist, but it's also a very, very scary prospect because are we now in a point at an intersection where Okay, cool. Are my thoughts going to be private at that particular point in time? So as we get more into the mindset of like, okay, cool, exploring how our brains work, exploring how how um, we're thinking, how we're, we're moving, and and being able to predictively move that into the uh, move that into the computer world, that causes a totally different set of of both security issues and privacy issues that, that people really need to think through because we're really getting into the most intimate corners of, of, of a person, right? Because right now we live in a world where you can't really read my mind, hopefully. And, um, mm-hmm. if, if, and with, with the BCI, yes, it's an amazing opportunity to give people a voice who can't because of many, many different reasons, but the boundary needs to be very well thought out between how much voice are we giving and when when are we starting to get into problems of ethics we we start getting into problems of like crossing a, a line that we should not be crossing with regard to that um with the mass adoption of these technologies such as xr and bci as you touched upon and the increase in data collection and processing in particular um there, there's many new risks around the corner as you've you've basically been uh, saying um yeah and you were the one of the first few people who talked about biometrically inferred data. Now, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, can you give us a brief definition of what, of what that means? Is that different to biometric data? So uh, I look at biometric inferred data as, for example, a lot of the data that my headset right now is actually uh, collecting, but it's not necessarily directly collecting my data as in sense of like, okay, an iris scan or or my fingerprint, right. etc., uh, et but the particularities around like how I move my body, how I move my head, how quickly I accelerate my head, how I move my arms, 
what are the postures that I'm in? Like my head is always a little bit tilted, a couple of degrees this way versus a couple of degrees that way. And with enough mass of data that is that can be collected out of these these small micro expressions, very likely you'll be able to like get a very confident fingerprint of these inferred right. data sets around like how my body is behaving mechanically. And then you're gonna be like, no, that that that's Tomas. Like very confidently be able to infer who I am just because of these unique particularities that you can compute out of me using a, a AR or VR headset. That means that basically, on one hand, we're going to learn an awful lot about ourselves, like uh, how we work or what mm -hmm. things are connected to each other, like, I don't know, character traits as opposed to, you know, how we move and stuff like that. On the other hand, um, given what can be extracted or mined in this way from our brains, what kind of safeguards do you think we actually need to put in place? Uh, Honestly, the, the, the biggest things that I think will need to happen is a lot more local processing, especially as it relates to a lot of this data versus centralized processing. Like, I really understand the need for large data centers with supercomputers and large right. AI workloads that can be very efficiently done and, and mined and, and computed. But given the sensitivity around like how this data can move, I'm, I'm a and what this data could do, I'm very much a fan of having all of these processings happen only on devices, only locally, and in secure enclaves, in secure zones of devices where the data just cannot leave. And companies that are building devices like, like this should very openly be able to talk about the specifications and allow independent verifications that this data actually does not leave the device and it's only meant for for the well-defined purposes now one could make the argument that if i opt in to better help these algorithms i should be given that opportunity and yes in that case like absolutely like give me the opt-in ability if i want to do this and i want to contribute back to make the 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 community better and the technology better sure then take my data but give me the choice and the choice should always be an opt-in choice versus a force me into choice right yeah that you've really explained that well <laughs> um it's actually something i hadn't thought about you know the centralized versus localized data thing uh, but it makes complete mm -hmm. sense um how has the risk landscape changed between uh, traditional computing to spatial computing and XR? I'm thinking, you know, also about your background in, in gaming and Minecraft and communities online and stuff like that. Um, can you give us a kind of an overview of also for anyone watching who might not be so familiar with the two worlds um, between what would the risk, uh, what the risk landscape was like before with just a uh, flat space? Um, mm -hmm. use and uh, and yeah. now what, what the new risks are. So in, in a 2D world or in a flat normal computing world, the biggest risks are, okay, cool, your computer is getting infected with malware, you're watching a video, you're going to have images spliced, spliced into them, but you always had have this disconnect of, okay, cool, that is my screen, this is, this is a computer, this is a virtual environment, this is reality. Right. And I'm looking at my keyboard. I'm looking at a screen. I know exactly what is going on is inside of that computer and reality cannot be touched by that computer at all. Like we started seeing some attacks in the real world where, with printers where someone compromised the network and started printing out really, really uh, 
dumb stuff yeah. like a meme or a photo of something to deplete ink or whatnot, or just even a notice like, hey, like your network is insecure, fix it, right? But that was the that was the true like at most what would happen in, in crossing right. the boundary between virtual and 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 real. Now as we get into the 3D space, as we get especially into the VR space, it blends together, right? Like I'm right now sitting at my desk, but I feel like I'm sitting on a couch talking to both of you, and I am periodically bumping my into my own desk because I'm, <laughs> I'm not noticing the fact that I'm bumping into my desk and my desk is here. So there are a totally new generation of attacks, uh, psychological attacks that we really have to right. be worried about of, hey, like, let's say uh, I, I'm, I'm in a game that asks me to walk around in my own room. What happens if I... I, I bump myself into a desk and physically hurt myself. And now going a little bit more into the extreme with industrial AR and VR, what if I, I, I as an attacker, force someone to walk off an oil rig into the ocean, right? Which is, again, like an, an edge, extreme edge case, but it's a reality that could potentially happen where, where it's a lot easier for a remote attacker to cause real-world harm because they're in a world where I'm believing my eyes right now. Like I, I, I feel that I'm inside of a room. So there's this boundary that has been crossed between physical and virtual because we as humans, we, we, we trust what we see. We believe what is real because we see what is real. And we, 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 that is our primary sense. So that, that is one risk that is absolutely new is, is real physical harm. Now, the second mm -hmm. one is going to be the psychological impact. And I don't think we know enough of how bad the psychological impact of AR and VR could be, especially in bullying scenarios, especially in like the passive aggressive scenarios, because of this this boundary being crossed between uh, real real world and virtual world. It's a lot harder to distinguish now than it has ever been. Like, yes, I can take off the glasses anytime I want, but right. it's still a lot closer, a lot more immersive than what a a two D screen would be. I mean, we're now we're in the sort of phase where this is all new and we're in some way pioneers of new technologies and stuff. Um, do you think that there'll come a day when this becomes completely, uh, rather, when this does become completely a, a mass affair, you know, everybody's in, in VR or AR or XR. Um, do you think that we might have some problems in terms of, of risk uh, because we lack things that we we now take for granted outside of the virtual space? Uh, Absolutely. I, I'm absolutely expecting uh, issues to, to stem from these things. Imagine a world where you have prescription glasses that are automatically AR glasses as well. And your AR mm -hmm. glasses get hit by, by ransomware, right? And now you can't use your glasses for real world stuff because it's your only pair. Now what? Right. Yeah. It's. I. I know it's a weird scenario to think about, but it. It is totally, absolutely a possibility that that the thing that you need to see a move around is like caught up in a ransomware attack and it's annoying you. Or let's talk a little bit about advertising. Right. Like I'm a person oh. who just does not love intrusive advertising. I don't mind creative advertising at all. Like. I wouldn't want to live in an AR world where I have AR glasses on and only thing I'm seeing left and right is neon signs left and right advertising something because it's way too intrusive. So being able to separate and being able to like step back is going to be very, very important. And being able to just ground ourselves in reality is absolutely going to be important. 
And yeah. I think the big thing that we we absolutely take for granted today that that we don't even know how it's going to play out is the psychological impact of of AR and VR. Uh, it seems very very awesome that hey, like we have this opportunity to make the world even smaller than it is today. But I don't think we truly comprehend of the long term effects of both positive and negative long-term psychological effects of this really small connected world, which is super easy to intrude on. So, which is why I think uh, I, I, I'm actually really curious and I'm really glad that I had a chance. And now I have a chance to speak to you about this. Since Connect, I've been curious, actually, you know, Facebook Connect was just about last week. And uh, so, uh, it had me wondering, like, what were your favorite moments out of Facebook Connect? And then what got you like, oh, my God, like what could happen? I mean, th- this obviously you generally outlined, but do you have like a few faves or a few like oops or ouch, like this could really go bad kind of the so things that you I, observe there? I, I will admit that I didn't pay too much attention to Facebook Connect because I, w- I was busy with other things. But ultimately, the biggest things that excite me about the future is the ability to like truly make a, the world smaller than it is today. We, we live in a COVID world where everyone is like stuck at home. Israel, for example, just went into a massive three-week lockdown because they had spiking numbers. And everyone is stuck at home with a with a curfew and you're not allowed to leave your home up to a radius of 500 meters. That's it. Like right. that's what you're allowed to do. So if, if this is going to be the new normal where we have to be observing social distancing, we, we have to be a lot more mindful about what we're doing. How do we, how do we bring back social connection between people? Right. How do we become social again? Because we're social beings at the end of the day, it's, Having worked from home for the past seven months, it's been incredibly difficult to whiteboard, to 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 get the creative juices flowing, right? Yeah. So I, I'm really excited for a world where I can do that from home in in an AR or VR world where I just look uh, to the other corner and there's a person next to me from the other side of the world helping me whiteboard on the same surface area, and we, we're collaborating the same way within the same space both of us experiencing it on the other side of the world. That, that for yeah. me is a very, very exciting future as long as it's done right. And I think this is, this is the biggest caveat that I have to say is delivering such a reality is non-trivial. It's going to require a lot of thinking and a lot of safety measures to make sure that it can be done the safest way possible. Yeah. You're you're 100% right, and um, I feel like uh, we are getting close to that point, and now is our, like, the last barrier of, like, hey, we need to now absolutely do something proactively Mm -hmm. to address anything that could be, you know, that could cause some uh, damage to humans, for example, uh, any kind of unintended consequences. So we're quite, we're getting quite close, uh, uh, I suppose. And sorry, I made the assumption that you watch Facebook Connect, but it, it was a, it was an exciting event, uh, I suppose, and uh, definitely risks were highlighted. But yeah, we'll continue to, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, consult with you and talk to you as to what we have to do in real life to mitigate them. Yep. So thanks for that, Tomas. Uh, mm-hmm. Now that you are leading this sort of child safety initiative for XR Safety Initiative, XRSI, and you're helping us build these safe, immersive realities, um, 
share with us just you know what can we expect as we you know and it's really kind of a strange question even when people ask me is like what to expect from xr which is not what i'm asking what i'm asking is 2020 has shown us some really stark really dark patterns mm-hmm. and yet we sort of survived we humans are resilient now we're headed to 2021 all these technologies are literally on the horizon we are talking about ar glasses all of this is coming about so um what can be expected from this like what kind of a world are we going to then live in and could it be bad worse what what all is uh, you know what help us imagine what could happen yeah i think if if you're if you would ask me to predict how 2021 is going to be i think i think 2021 is going to be very much a continuation of 2020 where Unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I don't even know how to phrase it, but remote work and remote learning is going to be the new norm pretty much all through 2021 until COVID and, and the pandemic world that we live in can can normalize and get to a point where it's safe again to to basically go back to the normal that we that we used we used to be um, used to. Um, but I yeah. also think it, it drives the opportunity for really, really good re- uh, remote collaboration innovation to happen. So I'm really expecting a lot of um, companies to come out with very, very interesting products around remote collaboration and remote learning at the the the, the three age ranges that I mentioned before, like the, the zero to 12 the, the, and, and how they're going to be learning for the next year. The, the 13 to 17, how are they going to be finishing school, high school, and how are they going to be uh, getting getting themselves and prepped ready for college? And then the, the adults, how are they going to go through the college life, go through uh, their early careers? And, and us, who have been a, a part of doing our careers for, for a while now, how are we going to adapt into the new realities of actually being able to remotely collaborate? So I'm very excited from a technology perspective around like, if people are truly starting to embrace that this is the new normal where we can't have 20, 50, 100 or, or 500 people in a room just, just listening to a talk, then how are we going to make it a lot more immersive and globally distributed? And in my opinion, that's going to actually allow for a lot more people to consume information. And instead of having to cram 500 people into into a, let's say a keynote, you might have actually tens of thousands of people. So I, I see... Uh, things like live streaming, I see things like AR, VR streaming, um, things like like what we're doing now becoming a lot more mainstream coming 2021. And I think a lot of the risks and challenges that, that, that we've been talking about are going to be accelerated. And I think the conversations around these topics are going to be accelerated because they're going to become a lot more of a prominent problem now versus having time to solve for them a little bit on a longer term. And that's comforting that you are leading the charge in proactively mitigating these things as Mm -hmm. we move forward, because we really have to. Uh, I don't see very many entities. Now people are starting to pay attention. But of course, it's so so great to have you be part of this team and lead that charge for us, for sure. Yep. Before we say goodbye, Tomas, there's -hmm. something we ask every guest who comes here. and that is that everyone has their own meaning and idea of what the word singularity means. Um, what's your take on this term and how close are we to a technological singularity? And what could that look like in your opinion? 
Oof, that that that's a difficult that's a difficult one. Um, I honestly don't know how close we are to a technological singularity. I I definitely feel that um, it's definitely within the next hundred years that we will get to a point where where technology will surpass human human capacity in my mind, and we will live in a complete symbiosis with technology and and the way we as human beings evolve is going to be through technology and not through genetical and, and biological evolution um it's a scary thought in my mind but um if if we just simply take the 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 historical view of the past 100 years like technology has advanced drastically our quality of life has has uh, has changed drastically because of technological advancements and I'm I'm really really looking forward to the next hundred years and and the technological change that's going to come even within the next ten to twenty years that hopefully will allow us to not only explore Earth but explore other planets and getting to other things but also within our small planet how do we make sure that our planet is safe how do we make sure that whatever mm-hmm. we're doing is 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 not only great for humanity but also great for the for Earth and then moving moving us into not only exploring our our world in reality, but also our creative world in virtual reality. That was an excellent answer. I love the fact that you said, um, I'm looking forward to the next 100 years, because it made me think that on the list of things that are going to happen, we're going to become like immortal or something. <laughs> um, you never know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tomas... Thank you for coming on the show. I think what I really liked was that you gave very clear, specific answers, and that made it, at least for me, really easy to understand things in a, in a clear way. So I'm sure anyone watching or listening will have appreciated that and probably be a little bit wiser as to how these things are evolving. Um, so th- again, thank you for taking your time to come on the show. Thank you, really. Thank you for having me. This was uh, absolutely a truly amazing experience to be here and, and talk to everyone. Cool. Thanks, Mas. And also big thanks to Kavya Perlman for making this show happen and our excellent team over here, uh, who we will see in the future. Gradually, they'll appear in different uh, situations. Um, to anyone listening or viewing, this is just the beginning of the journey. Follow us on readyhacker1.com, watch our shows on YouTube, and listen to our podcast on Spotify, Spreaker, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also find a Facebook group, um, just look up Singularity Watch or Singularity RH1 and you'll find us. And that's it. Happy journeys to everyone.